Our first reading is from Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 to 14. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. But first of all, let me take you back to September 1990. For some of you, you may remember 1990 as Italia 90. One of the greatest World Cups there was. We got beaten by Germany again on penalties. Uh, Paul Gascoigne cried, etc., etc. But that's not what I want to highlight. <laughs> September 1990, I was 14 years old and attending a state comprehensive school in South London and sitting in a French class. Absolutely petrified. Now, I apologise now if anybody here is French, um, but what I'm about to do in the next minute or two, I apologise for. So picture the scene. We have an adolescent 14-year-old boy sitting at the back of the class because he hates French. In walks Madame Zarkosi. That wasn't her name, it was one I just called it straight away. Um, we all stand up. Asseyez-vous. Oh, she put her hands down, so that means I should sit down. Good. So I'm on the right path already. Bonjour, she said. Bonjour, oui, Madame Zarkozy, we all say in return, and I apologise for the French actions if I'm trying to do it. She explains in English that we have cards on our desk in front of us. I turn over my card and it says, I have to ask in French, where is the library? <laughs> A sense of panic and fear comes over me. I start to sweat. Probably more than I am doing so now. <laughs> Thumbing through my French dictionary, I come across the word bibliothèque. Right. Okay. In a kind of semi-broken voice, Où est la bibliothèque, mademoiselle? Okay. Excellent. And she replies back to me, not in English, but in French. Fear. Hang about. Do I go left or do I go right? Do I go left again and do I go right again? And at the end, she wants me to pick up a violin. They were not clear instructions for me. I was confused. I didn't know what to do. Today's passage, Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 14, and I'll read it to you again, as Amy read it so beautifully for us earlier on in the service. You are the people of God. He loved you and he chose you for his own. So then, you must clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Be tolerant with one another and forgive one another. 
When any of you has a complaint against someone else, you must forgive one another just as the Lord has forgiven you. And to all these qualities add love. But what does that mean? Well, straight away, I thought, here's a set of clear instructions. But this is not the first time that God has given such instructions to his people. In fact, I can go back to the book of Isaiah. And once again, you may recognise this story. Jerusalem, you rulers of your people are like those of Sodom and Gomorrah. Listen then to what the Lord is saying to you. Pay attention to what our God is teaching you. He says, do you think I want all these sacrifices you keep offering me? I have more than enough of the sheep you burn as sacrifices and of the fat of your fine animals. I am tired of the blood of bulls and of sheep and goats. Who asked you to bring me all these when you come to worship me? Who asked you to do all this trampling in my temple? It is useless to bring your offerings. I am disgusted with the smell of your incense you burn. I cannot stand your new moon festivals, your Sabbaths and your religious teachings. They are all corrupted by your sins. I hate your new moon festivals and your holy days. They are a burden I am tired of bearing. When you lift up your hands in prayer, I will not look at you. No matter how much you pray, I will not listen, for your hands are covered with blood. Wash yourselves clean. Stop all this evil that I see you doing. And learn to do right. Seek that justice is done. Help those who are oppressed. Give orphans their rights and defend the fathers. A clear set of instructions that God was delivering to his people via Isaiah. He was warning them of the outcome of disobedience towards God. And more importantly, their lack of faith in him and belonging and holding on to what they truly believed they were doing correctly themselves. Meaningless offerings. We fast forward to the book of Colossians that we've been looking at recently. And I won't read them again, but chapter 3, verses 5 to 8, that we studied recently in our sermon, also tells us stop doing the things that we've been doing. But what does this mean for us today? Well, my talk is broken up into three key parts. I want to take time to look at each verse. Verse 12, I called chosen people. It's obvious. This is not rocket science. Verse 13, tolerance and forgiveness. Verse 14, what is the key ingredient? What holds everything together? And hopefully, if you've been listening and paying attention already throughout the service, you are probably already working that out. So let me start with verse 
chosen people. This got me thinking. How are people chosen in today's society? A number of ways we are chosen. I came up with a list of qualifications for one. Your financial, your ethical background, how old you are, your gender, or even how you look is how society chooses people today. As a teacher, I often spend a lot of time in the playground watching how children play. And one of the things they do when they select teams is very interesting. And you may have come across this before in your upbringing. What takes place is they line up everybody against the wall. And then they pick, I want you, I want you, and I want you. Here's a poem about here, here is a poem by Alan Olberg about that. Some of you may have come across this, particularly if you are a teacher. When we pick teams in the playground, whatever the game might be, there's always somebody left, and it's usually me. I stand there looking hopeful and tapping on my chest. But the captain picks the others first, starting the course with the best. Maybe if teams were sometimes picked, starting with the worst, once in a lifetime a boy or a girl could actually end up being picked first. Imagine the scene. The last pick in the playground. It's often done begrudgingly, isn't it? Oh, go on then. I'll have you. Okay? Uh, apologies. If anyone's called Philip here, I'm just using the word Philip. Okay? Oh, go on then, Philip. I'll take you. And you know what happens next. Philip moves towards his team slowly, feeling unwanted and unloved. The rest of the team gather around having a team talk and Philip's there just on the edge. His captain finally calls him over and says, Philip, I know where I want you to play. Right left back over there, right in the corner, away from the action. Philip is last to be picked and he's left far away from the action. I'm sure some of us have felt that way before. But what is important here is that God does not choose people that way. As Paul states in the letter we are reading, and verse 11, just before today's passage, we are all his people, whether we are Jew or Gentile. Just think about that just for two seconds. All his people. That's quite a strong message to have in biblical times when you've got these outcasts and, well, you're a, that group and you're that group and you can't go here and you can't do that. We are all his people. In fact, Jesus used that terminology as well. There are a number of occasions when Jesus spent time with the outcasts. And brought them to the Pharisees and the scribes and said, this is your brother. This is your sister. We are family 
And we sang that earlier on in one of the songs. We are family. But here's where it gets really interesting. God is not like the captain or the coach who just picks the team and then lets them get on with it. What he does here, he actually tells us how we should play. <coughs> so then, you must clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. That is how I want you to play. Follow my instructions. It's very simple, it's very clear. I have chosen you, you now do what I expect you to do. I'm not saying that is easy. Here we go. Because as we go through, we are told to be tolerant and to forgive. Be tolerant with one another and forgive one another when any of you has a complaint against someone else you must forgive one another just as the Lord has forgiven you I'm sure we've all been in situations before where we have found it difficult to forgive I'm not going to ask people to give examples here and now that's not the right time but you know you have been in those situations. You either fallen out with colleagues, with friends, or maybe even family. You found it impossible to forgive. How do I forgive? The parable of the unforgiving servant explains that quite nicely. Excuse me while I while I take a drink. I'm going to read that to you now. It's a very famous story, but it fits in really nicely with this passage. They're taken from the book of Matthew. Matthew 18, 21 through to 35. Do you bear with me? Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, if my brother keeps on sinning against me, how many times do I forgive him? Seven times? No. Not seven times, Jesus answered, but seventy-seven times. Or seventy times seven, even. Because the kingdom of heaven is like this. Once there was a king who decided to check on his servants' accounts. He had just begun to do so when one of them was brought in who owed him a million pounds. The servant did not have enough money to pay his debt. So the king ordered him to be sold as a slave with his wife and his children, and all that he had, in order to pay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before the king. Be patient with me, he begged. I will pay you everything I have. The king felt sorry for him, so he forgave the debt and let him go. Then the man went out and met one of his fellow servants, who owed him a few pounds. He grabbed him and started choking him. Pay back what you owe me, he said. Be patient with me. I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he had been thrown in jail until he could pay the debt. 
When the other servants saw what had happened, they were very upset and went to the king and told him everything. So he called the servant in. You worthless slave, he said. I forgave you the whole amount you owed me just because you asked me to. You should have mercy on your fellow servant just as I have mercy on you. The king was very angry and he sent the servant to jail to be punished until he should pay back the whole amount. And Jesus concluded, that is how my Father in heaven will treat everyone who unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Forgiveness comes from the heart. So the message is clear. We have been forgiven. So we must forgive. Just stop and think about that. Just for a brief moment. We have been forgiven. So we in turn must forgive. I found a quote from Martin Luther King recently. Forgiveness is not a single act, but a state of attitude that someone must live by. A state of attitude that someone must live by. A forgiving heart. It's not easy. But it does get easier if we include the key ingredient. Now I'm not much of a cook, as my wife will testify. And one programme that really, really makes me leave the room is the Great British Bake Off. I apologise if anybody, if that is their go-to on a Wednesday. Um, so I was quite pleased when DT lost it, because um, we don't watch Channel 4. Um, that, that's what adverts in. Okay. Um, but over the years, one of the things that I have learnt or tried to pick up is how do you bake a cake? I can't do it, but you know, I can, I can see the principle. And so I got thinking, well, what's the key thing in baking a cake? Oh, in fact, you want to do it in the first place. You can bake a cake without margarine, I think. You can bake a cake without gluten. You can even bake a cake without chocolate. It can, and it has been done. Okay? But, to me, and my layman's understanding of cooking, you can't bake a cake without eggs. The eggs bind the cake together. Let me read you this passage as well. A very, very famous passage taken from 1 Corinthians. I think I even had this at, um, at my wedding. It is about love. You probably knew that. I may be able to speak the languages of human beings and even of angels, but if I have no love, my speech is no more than a noisy gong or a clanging bell. I may have the gift of inspired preaching, I may have all knowledge and understanding and all secrets. I may have all the faith needed to move mountains. 
But if I have no love, I have nothing. I may give away everything I have and even give up my body to be burnt. But if I have no love, this does me no good. Love is patient and kind. It is not jealous or conceited or proud. Love is not ill-mannered or selfish or irritable. Love does not keep record of wrongs. Love is not happy with evil, but is happy with the truth. Love never gives up. And faith, hope and patience never fail. So love is the key ingredient for all those things. Love is the thing that binds us together, that brings that unity. Love was the thing that was missing from Isaiah in the Old Testament, in that, that prophecy that he was telling. The meaningless offerings, the key word meaningless. You're just doing it because you think that is what is needed. You're not doing it because that is what is coming from your heart. Because love comes from your heart. Let me read you the final part of that. Three things remain. Faith, hope and love. But the greatest of all is love. I'll conclude by reading the passage just one more time to you again. You are the people of God. He loved you and he chose you for his own. So then, you must clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Be tolerant with one another. Forgive one another when anyone has a complaint against someone else. You must forgive one another just as the Lord has forgiven you. And to all these qualities add love, which binds all these things together in perfect unity. This is not a message of condemnation. This is a message of hope. Love is the thing that binds us all together. And with that, let's just quickly pray. Lord, thank you that we are forgiven children. That we are all one family. Irrespective of race or colour or creed or financial or ethical background. You chose us. You love us. Let us in turn love your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.